You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about six pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30-06, and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit SavageArms.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> In this episode of Houndsman XP, I have a very special guest, you guys. My friend Alex and I have been talking for a while. He's a curator of several hound hunting groups on Facebook. He's a very intelligent, articulate man, and he's been hound hunting in Australia for a very long time. He was also super instrumental in getting sandbar hunting back with hounds in Australia after it had been banned. I really enjoyed talking to Alex. We talked about so many different topics about houndsmanship of old and how it's changed and and just how we view modern houndsmanship, you know, from both the lens of someone who's been doing it for decades and someone who's just getting started, me. And so I just really love talking to people like that, have this wealth of knowledge, and they have their eyes focused on making sure that we preserve, protect, and promote our great heritage. Alex has been an incredibly humble and kind fan of the show, and I reached out to him and asked if he wanted to be on the show, and he was very happy to oblige. Before we get there, guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about some of our friends of HXP. I want to start with Paws Are Protected. Paws Are Protected is a preconditioning salve that you put on your dog's feet. It helps keep their feet really strong, yet soft and moisturized. I use it on my running dog's feet. I actually just had a pretty bad cut on one of my dog's feet. I've been using it for the last two weeks on it to keep it in shape. 
and it's recovered really nicely. It's you can't even tell. The pad was lacerated by a rock. Actually, my male dislocated one of his toes, and uh, although I wish Pazo Protective could heal that quicker, that will just take time. But he also cut some feet. That hair took him through some pretty rough stuff. Um, his paws looking a lot better, and uh, must have been a pretty gnarly rock to cut his feet because. Normally he doesn't sustain much damage. I put paws that are protected on his paws regularly to help keep them in great shape. If you join us on Patreon, guys, you can get a code for 20% off paws are protected, which is our way of saying thank you to both paws are protected and as a thank you to you guys for joining us on Patreon. And if you're like, what's Patreon? Uh, Patreon's a website that allows you to make a monthly donation to Hounds and XP. And in return, not only are you supporting the best hound hunting podcast in the world, but you're also getting access to sweet behind-the-scenes footage, uh, articles that we write, cool um, tailgate talks, which are like extra mini-podcasts that are just super casual. We talk with friends of the show. And I'm dead serious, guys. If you want to be on a tailgate talk with me, reach out to me. I'd love to have you on the show and talk. I love talking to the fans. It's pretty much my favorite thing to do as a member of the HXP team. So reach out to me. Uh, let's, uh, let's have a talk. We also have um, pro training tips from our friends like Jared Moss and Chris. Um, we have all kinds of sweet articles and even recipes on how to cook and prepare some native shrubbery and uh, wild game. So it's just something that is a way to connect with other houndsmen and women that want to be part of a community that's a little bit more than just listening to the show. And it helps us keep the lights on and make sure we keep our production value at the tip top and always stay improving. And so to our patrons that are listening, we really appreciate it. And if you're curious, you can go to houndsonexp.com, click on the Patreon tab. It'll take you right there to Patreon. Or you can go to patreon.com and search up in the top right uh, search bar for houndsonexp. Pick the tier that you want to uh, um, support houndsonexp at. And there you go. And like I said, we really appreciate your time. And lastly, guys, I, I really did want to throw out a shout out to Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a great friend of the podcast. We've hosted a Freedom Hunters event. You can also host your own Freedom Hunters event. And uh, Freedom Hunters is an organization that gets wounded veterans and uh, Gold Star family members and veterans of all types back out in the field. And of course, when they partner with Hounds and XP, we cater towards hound hunting events, but they can do all kinds of different stuff. And I just think it's a great cause. All of us do here at HXP. And I think we can all agree that getting anybody out in the field, especially America's heroes, back out and experiencing the outdoors in ways that maybe they couldn't or for the first time ever is awesome and super important so uh, check out freedom hunters you guys it's at freedomhunters.org and you can get all the information you need there they're a great friend of the podcast and definitely someone we can all get behind okay guys well we're heading back down under let's gear up for a great podcast with my friend alex kirstick here we go thanks again for listening Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Hounds and XP podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me. He's a guest that a lot of people have requested and I was very happy to reach out to my friend Alex. And without further ado, I why don't you introduce yourself, Alex, and, and tell everyone hello to the Hounds and XP world. Yeah, hi Seth. Uh, greetings from, uh, from the land down under, Australia. Um, I'm very, I'm very humbled to to have been invited to uh, to speak on on this podcast. I've been an avid fan for quite a long time, 
Um, look, my background basically is uh, I've been a hunter and a houndsman for pretty well my entire adult life. Um, I'm 62 years of age now, and uh, I started hunting with dogs as a as a kid, you know, as a 10 or 11 year old. So I'm starting to get the hang of a few things. <laughs> Just a little bit, huh? Yeah, but uh, I'll tell you what, every day that goes past and every day you spend in the bush, you realize how much you don't know. I've heard that a much- lot from very experienced people, and I really love that saying. I want to use that a couple decades down the line. Oh, well, ho- hopefully we'll we'll all be around in a couple of decades time doing <laughs> what we love. It's- look, here, oh, go ahead. here in Australia, we... Sorry. No problem. Here, here, here in Australia, we... Um, we're avid sportsmen and hunters. Um, hunting with dogs has been a tradition for as long as, um, well, as long as humans have been in Australia. That that that, that also includes uh, our indigenous people who um, who actually uh, hunt and they still hunt with dogs in their traditional lands. Uh, but since the white man came here, we've they've always had they've always hunted with dogs and hounds, everything from scent hounds right through to to uh, sight hounds like yours, mm-hmm. and the tradition continues. Uh, my main concentration, as far as hounds are concerned, are, are scent hounds. I also um, hunt with and, and breed with uh, breed uh, terriers and uh, well German hunting terriers or Jag terriers, and uh, Deutsche Drahthaus, which are known in some places as German wire hairs or German wire head pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a retired police officer. I've got 30 years uh, service, veteran of Victoria Police. Wow. Um, currently, I run, a, I run a couple of businesses. I, I run a um, professional hunting outfit and also a wildlife control company as well as a ballistics testing laboratory. So we test, we test armour and things like that for various organisations, the military and for the police. You're living the dream. Holy smokes. <laughs> well, maybe one day I'll make some money out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel as a wildlife biologist. I'm having fun, but man, I'm glad I married an engineer. She, she makes all the real money. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have a, a professional wife as well, and uh, yeah, she 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 keeps me in the in the manner in which to, to which I become accustomed. <laughs> yes, I've, I'm kind of a spoiled sugar baby in a way. <laughs> oh, cool. I hear I hear that your wife's a climber. She is big time. She is, uh, you know, I've gotten into climbing secondhand uh, through her, and yeah, I'm nowhere as good as her. Everyone thinks because like. I don't know. I'm not like the biggest dude in the world, but everyone thinks that when we show up to the rocks that I'm going to be the one like climbing a bunch. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> I just kind of watch her go. And she's, she's really good. And yeah, we've been planning a trip to Australia for our honeymoon for some time. And this was way before I got on this show and have made tons of Australian friends from like all over the country. And so now, yeah, get, keep going. Oh, and now I just, I don't know if I'm going to be able to climb or if I'm just going to be able to hunt dogs the entire time. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunity for both. We yeah. have um, we have some fantastic climbing here at uh, Mount Arapiles down in Victoria, down in the Western District here. Mm. And people from all, 
people from all over the world come and uh, enjoy enjoy climbing there. And uh, the good thing about it is it's only a relatively short distance away from some of the best hound hunting on Samba in the in the world. So I you want might to do that to... so bad. That looks so fun. I I'd never even heard, I knew deep, like dog driving was obviously a thing, but there's just something so alluring about hunting such a large deer like that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, the whole package, the whole package with with hunting Samba with stand hounds is. Uh, is uh, is magnificent you know the, so some of the some of the most beautiful country in the world here we we um we hunt on the great dividing range which runs down the entire eastern seaboard of australia but the area that we hunt in is is way down south uh, right down in victoria which is the south eastern corner mm-hmm. and that, that's where these deer were or in that area is where the deer were released back in the 1800s and uh, been hunted there ever since their numbers are certainly increasing wow and the popularity of hound hunting is uh is also increasing which, uh, which that's is great. great you know i really i think i'm going to be famous on hxp for the australian guy but i don't know what it is about you aussies but you guys are just great fans you guys reach out and talk to me a bunch and i was really excited to have you on the show alex because Almost everyone I talked to, A, had something very positive to say about you. B, was like, you need to have this guy on the show. And C, told me that you were very instrumental on on keeping hound sports and the hound lifestyle in Australia going strong or resurrecting it in places. And I really wanted to get to that. You know, I took a tiny look at your personal page as well as the two pages that you moderate, Hounds Australia and Hounds Unlimited. And right there on the on the about section you're talking about how the goal of your pages is to promote uh, preserve protect and promote in your own words and how you the whole point is to make sure that people are getting involved legislatively to help keep hound hunting alive so first of all thank you for your service it doesn't matter where you are in the world preserving protecting and promoting the lifestyle is our goal here at hounds and xp obviously and we love to see other individuals that are taking leadership positions. And so thank you. Really, I mean that. Oh, well, I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've drawn a lot of pleasure from hunting with hounds for all those years. And uh, I think it's probably only fitting that I, that I put, back, put a little back and try to preserve it. I, uh, I, I really wanted to hear your story about, I heard that sambar hunting it became with hounds became illegal. That's what Corbin said. And, uh, it was brought back. Did you have anything to do with that? Oh, look, it's a very, very long story. Um, as, as in the U S here in Australia, we're constantly battling, um, I suppose concentrated efforts to try to put us out of the bush, try to stop us from using our hounds for hunting. Um, there are those that are very well organized and very uh, capable at, um, at trying to quell what we're doing. Uh, animal welfare groups, uh, H- HSUS, uh, PETA, RSPCA, mm-hmm. uh, pretty well, pretty well, you know, the usual suspects. But um, from time to time, without getting too political, but unfortunately, we're sort of forced into being a bit political these days. From time to time, um, 
governments or state governments get in, uh, become elected, and uh, they have agendas to uh, to do things. You know, they cut down uh, areas that we can hunt. There's hound hunting is very very highly regulated here here in Victoria. Um, it's it's regulated to the to the level where it's all it, it's very very onerous. Um, you know, uh, and as a result of that, uh, it, it, you know, I think they're trying to do everything they possibly can to keep us out of the bush. Yeah, it's like making anyway, ammunition so expensive that you can't shoot your guns. Like that kind of legislation, it sounded like all, Corbin all, was explaining. It's amazing. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff. But also, um, see, for instance, uh, the, the wildlife game regulations, which are the regulations that uh, control hunting with dogs or hunting game anywhere in Australia, in Victoria, sorry. Uh, the the species that we hunt here, believe it or not, we are not allowed to hunt any native animals in Victoria at all with hounds or dogs or anything. The only animals we hunt here are introduced species. You know, things like um, the various deer species, of which there are several, um, foxes, uh, rabbits, feral cats, dogs, and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'll concentrate on the Samba deer at this stage because they, by far, are the most uh, coveted game animal in Australia and, and in Victoria in particular. And, and they, they are introduced and uh, they've been declared as being a threatening process um, throughout, you being a scientist would be, would be across this, throughout, uh, throughout their range here in Victoria and they do cause considerable damage to various ecosystems and mm -hmm. things like that. But notwithstanding any of that, um, due to, uh, I suppose, hunter behaviour or bad, some bad behaviour in the past from a very small number of people, um, hound hunting came under the microscope. And it got to the stage where the then um, left-wing government, uh, back in the... Uh, late 90s decided that they were going to have a crack at banning hunting with hounds so a few people got together and uh, negotiated a few deals and tried to do a few things and eventually uh, we escaped uh, losing hound hunting but uh, the trade-off was that uh, the regulations had to become more and more onerous and they have not that's not stopped the the regulations keep uh, increase or the, the level of um, regulation has increased significantly. Hmm. So you, every hound, there's three classes of dog that you can use to hunt game in Victoria. One is gun dogs, which includes all the versatile breeds, you know, the, mm -hmm. the German wire hairs, German short hairs, uh, Vizslers, Whoever would want to use it, Bizzler for hunting. Um, <laughs> and then, then you go over to the deer hunting dogs, which is, which is an unusual uh, category. And this is in the schedule under the regulations, uh, which includes uh, Yark Terriers, Jack Russell Terriers, um, and various other small breeds of dogs. And then you go to the hounds, and then they stipulate what breeds of hounds we can use. And they also stipulate that each hound must be uh, assessed and registered and it's going to be assessed for its suitability to comply with the um, 
with the ANKC, which is the Australian Kennel Council's um, confirmation, and also for its um, suitability as far as temperament is concerned for hunting deer, or hunting wow. samba in That's and, a lot. Yeah. Holy moly. It is, it is a very, very onerous system. And, um, yeah, look, we all, we all know that, you know, nobody wants their hands to hunt trash or non-target species. Of course. But it's, it's the same. They keep wheeling out the fact that, oh, no, they could be chasing kangaroos and wallabies. and We don't want that to happen. Hmm. Now, the first thing that any of us as hunters do is, is uh, stop, stop our uh, hounds from chasing anything other than what we're actually hunting. Yeah, of course, of course. Did, so did did you guys lose the right to hunt sandbar deer and then it was brought back or or is it just been getting eroded more intensely over the years well it got it got to the it got to the precipice it got to the cliff and it was about to go over and um, there was there were things done that um, I suppose throughout the hand or through the hunting community not so much the hand hunting community um, that that stopped them from banning the animal banning hunting with hounds totally but um, the regulations were were, uh, were introduced and tightened up, and mm-hmm. uh, that's where we've ended up today. Look, we've we've made a little bit of ground back um, through a considerable amount of lobbying and um, and uh, you know, work from certain groups within the hunting community, and we've actually, in the last few years, have been allowed to use Harry as as um, as scent hounds on mm-hmm. Samba. Because mm-hmm. when they when they ban when they they ban they ban the breed the foxhound breed um, for various reasons, um, relying on inverted commas anecdotal evidence to support their arguments. But when you research exactly what that anecdotal evidence is, it seems to be fairly short on evidence and long on rhetoric. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we've got harriers back, and they stipulate that you can use harriers, which is pretty well are like a. Like a small sort of walker hound mm-hmm. that, that you guys would be used to you using, and I've, I've sent you some photographs of some of, our, of ours, so hopefully you, you can see the type of hound that we use. You can also see it on our Facebook pages and various various forums. Yes, sir. But yeah, so we're, we're constantly battling, um, and look, we the, the hound hunting community is not without its um, not without its issues as well, you know. Uh, we're made up of uh, of a cross section of the community. You know, there's there's really great people involved. And there's also some not so great people involved, and everything in between. Yep, as with um, any community. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. And we've also got um, we've also got uh, organisations that probably aren't pulling in the same direction. And uh, sometimes we we do things to our own detriment as far as the way you know, the management of some of those organisations conduct themselves. But uh, these are the sort of things that we're, we're desperately trying to address and to try to get some sort of uh, cogent or some sort of uh, strong backing for hounds and uh, keeping us in the, keeping us in the, in the bush. So, so what, so um, what, what did you guys, what, what happened when you guys gained ground back? I'm just curious as to that process. Was there hunting groups that all came together on the behalf of Houndsmen? Was you guys a united sportsman's front or was it literally just hound groups lobbying and 
and coming together, like explain that process. Cause I think this is super important for American houndsmen to hear that you can get to the brink and still come back from it. And I just want to know how you guys did it. Like specifically. There, there, there isn't really a, a, a formal, I suppose, hound group that you could call them a group here in, in Victoria. There, there, there is a, an association that's um, uh, that, that's, that, that represents hounds and hounds hunting, but unfortunately, um, they tend not to go far enough with regards to the advocacy and the lobbying side of things. And it's more, it's, it's run more like a uh, like a social family type of arrangement. Mm-hmm. And look, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And it's, uh, it's, um, it, it, there's been some very good things that have come out of that. There's also the various deer associations, the Australian Deer Association, which uh, I'll remind them uh, was formed by hound hunters. But at this stage, hound hunters seem to be the red-headed stepchild of the, uh, of the deer hunting community. Mm. And, and here in the United <laughs> States too, yeah. <laughs> That's something we're always trying to battle. I spend nothing is more rewarding to me in the hunting community than convincing big game hunters that hound hunting is awesome. Like even people that have a neutral or or even slightly negative view after they spend some time with me, see my hair coursing dogs, even come out in the field with me and see those dogs course coursing game, the look on their faces and they're like, this is absolutely awesome and totally different than I thought it was going to be. It feels amazing, and to me, that's what it's all about. Well, I think I think you're, you're quite correct. The we're never going to get the antis on side, no matter what we do or say. Um, they're anti-hunting, and they're going to stay anti-hunting in most cases. But there are a lot of people that are undecided, and, and the, the great, the uh, the silent majority of people, they tend to sit on the fence, or they be they're a little bit ambivalent about the whole thing. They're the ones that we need to get on side and they need to understand that what we're doing isn't sinister or nasty or horrible. It's just what people have been doing with dogs since the beginning of time. And uh, it, it, it's not uh, it's not a bad thing. You know, it's funny you know, to I, me that most people, the one of the like, especially non hunting people that are just kind of completely ignorant or on the fence or anything about hound hunting. The first question they typically ask is, well, do the dogs have fun? And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like it's what they're made to do. It's everything to them. They're having so much fun. And that, that fact alone is I think what attracts the most people to have positive views on the hound hunting, even the, the intense bonds we have with our hounds, how much we really care about them and, and the, the even individual bonds we form with the dogs. But when people just see how happy the dogs are to be doing what they love, it, that has been the biggest ally of houndsmanship and i think moving forward because the anti-hunting community really uses the quote-unquote cruelty factor as shock images and i think we need to use the positive emotions as our ally the positive emotion of pride taking care of our animals the positive emotion of the bond and love we feel for the land the game and the dogs as well as our lifestyle and when people see how much we care about all of those things I just mentioned, plus how much fun our dogs, how the, they just love being alive and doing a job. I think that's our biggest ally to move forward, in my opinion. Look, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's, it, it, it's, it's probably the most important thing. Uh, 
people people do need to understand. And I think the vast majority of people that have, that know hunters and houndsmen know just how well loved and well looked after their dogs are. And uh, and the measure of a good houndsman or a good hunter or you know man that hunts with dogs is really um, by the way the way in which he looks after his dogs. You, I totally you never agree. see you, you never top a top class hound team with average looking dogs. You know, their dogs look the part, they they're well looked after, they're fit, they're healthy, they're in good condition, you know. Totally and agree. They're, they're our yeah, they're our ambassadors, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and when people see see hounds tied out along the you know on a campsite where we're camping they'll often come up and have a look and they'll pat the dogs and the, the dogs demonstrate that they're not savage uh, animal eating creatures. They're just dogs, you know. Yeah. You can come up and they wag their tail and you can pat them and they're, they're easy going sort of dudes and uh, that's the image that, that we very much want to put across and uh, by, by and large, that's, that's the image that we do put across. I agree. Very much. You know, I've had more positive experiences because I hunt on a lot of public land on foot. And one of the big advantages of hunting on foot is that my hounds are out with me. And, and a lot of times antelope hunters or very rarely people out walking or enjoying themselves, but ranchers and, and people out there will see and they'll stop. And of course, my dogs are wagging their tails and they're coming up to people and licking their faces. And everyone's like hunting dogs. These are hunting dogs, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, wow, I thought hunting dogs were mean or or something. And I was like, yeah. no, they're just they're dogs. Like they love people. Like <laughs> you know what I mean. And and I hunt hares with my dogs, so I mean they're they're uh, it's easier for people to make that connection between the predator prey, you know what I mean, the predator and prey balance because a hare is like a quintessential prey animal. So it's easy for people to make that bridge between like, oh, okay, yeah, these are just hunting dogs for rabbits. I think it's our predator houndsmen that really need to show that these dogs are, because every mountain lion dog I've ever met is super friendly. Like they just want to lick you and hang out like any normal dog. And I think they are the ones that, you know, need to put in the, not, I don't want to say need to put in the time, but definitely benefit from showing that they're just great pets as well as hound hunt, like hounds. You know what I mean? Of course, of course. Look, I've been I've been very fortunate in my life where I've had the opportunity to to travel to the US and and hunt with houndsmen over there. And uh, and what you say is 100% correct. You know, the the guys that I've hunted uh, um, lions and and bear with have been uh, really the soul of the earth, and no different to the guys that. That have been that I've hunted here my whole life with, you know. We just happen to be in a different part of the world hunting different critters, but we we still love those dogs. We there's a lot in common as far as the dogs are concerned, as far as the men and women are concerned that are involved. Um, you know, I've, I've, I went over to the US uh, back in the in the late 80s, and uh, I thought I knew a little bit about hound hunting, and then. I got over there and I realized just how much I didn't know about him. That's how I feel uh, being a part of this show. You know what I mean? I didn't think I knew that much to begin with. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Uh, Where'd you go in the United States? Traveling and interacting with hunters all over the place is a good eye opener. And uh, I learned a hell of a lot from, from some of my friends in Virginia and down in, uh, and down in Florida and some, 
up in Oregon, and uh, they uh, they they're kind enough to to assist us in what we're doing here, assisting with uh, you know bloodlines of dogs and you know transporting dogs and frozen semen and all sorts of stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it it, it is it, it's it's fantastic, uh, and I think you know I listened to to Steve Fielder and and you guys uh, talking about. Um, you know the, the, all the positive stuff you're doing for the hounds and for the hound and hunting community, and it and it really gives me a, a you know, it heartens me to think well you know we're all on the same page here, mm-hmm. and we're we we're we're going to we're going to keep going. We're not going to stop. But, yeah, uh, I yeah, and I think I agree with you. You know, you told me off air that <clears throat> that Australia has lost a lot more ground than we have in the United States. And I just want to make sure we stay on the vanguard of not losing ground because I just think that um, keeping keeping uh, keeping abreast of current issues and and putting our best foot forward always and showing the world what houndsmanship is really like is going to be our best ally moving forward. And uh, I just want to ask you um, when you were in, what were you hunting in Florida with hounds? Well. <laughs> I, uh, it was funny. I, I, was, I was actually, uh, the, the police force had sent me over there to do some courses with, uh, with your um, federal government organisations you know, to do with weapons and training and tactical stuff. And, uh, I was going to say, it's probably not the same courses that I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no. no and, uh, yeah, just, you know, all that gunslinger stuff. You know? And, um, and uh, we started off in Quantico in Virginia and I met a guy who's... Uh, but I've got to be a bit careful about dropping names here. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, protect the names of the innocent. <laughs> yeah, I met a guy who's he was a, a one of your from one of your elite federal organisations, and uh, he he came from uh, from Florida, and his dad was a was a houndsman, and uh, he said, "You want to come and stay near a hunter and a houndsman? You better come down and visit my dad. And he, he'll take you hunting." You know. And, uh, when we went down there, my eyes were opened, and uh, I met I met my first genuine redneck. And uh, <laughs> this this guy was this guy was in his seventies then. He's sadly he's passed away now, but he he had he, he had beautiful Walker hounds, and he had some blue ticks, and uh, he kept these special kind of chickens. You know the ones yeah. that don't like it very much. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> feisty kind. Well, he knew. He knew a hell of a lot about dogs, and he knew a lot about genetics and breeding. And he was one of those sort of guys you just sit to and listen for. You could listen to him for days, just on, on you know how to how to breed good dogs and, and how to get the best out of them. Anyway, um, you know we we went out and we hunted um, we hunted some critters in various places in the southern part of the U.S. through the contacts that I gained over there. Yeah, most of these guys aren't on the internet or on Facebook. They're probably just too old, but uh, they um, they definitely um, spark my interest in, especially in in regards to your coonhounds and oh, a lot yeah. of the breeds. That you yeah, like your, your dry your dry your dry ground hunting dogs, your cold nose dogs that hunt down in the New Mexico and um, in Texas and places like that. Yes, sir. And. Uh, and you know, a few guys in Utah. There's, you know, the, the number of hounds that went over there and the different packs of hounds is amazing compared to what, what we have here. We, 
we don't have a particularly um, uh, robust uh, registry of hounds here and um, we're working on improving that. There's a number of people that are improving things here, but um, there are a lot of uh, a lot of obstacles in the way that we need to work around and work over. You are very but, uh, well traveled in the United States. Holy moly, you covered some ground. <laughs> you don't even live in the United States and you've covered more ground than me. <laughs> I've been around for a lot of years too. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, yeah. it's my interest. It, you know, like I was fortunate enough to to be able to get over there with work initially, and then subsequently my interest in hunting and the contacts that I made over there, um, who will be who will remain lifelong friends, um, have helped me a lot with um, with my with my passion with the hounds and with the dogs. I, I am. Um, I'm lucky enough to um, to have some fairly handy Yark Terriers that I've imported from Europe, and um, I send a lot of the genetic material from here over to the US. The, those Terriers are getting very, very popular amongst guys that hunt with, also hunt with hounds and Terriers. They are so with, intense! Oh my goodness! Yeah, they, they are. They are fairly intense, but um, it's like look, it's like with any dog. <clears throat> pardon me, uh, you know. Just because a dog happens to be a certain breed, it doesn't mean he's a good one. And um, it, it, it's up to the breeders and up to the hunters to maintain that high standard of, uh, mm. of breeding. And you, without getting too uh, uh, gushy over what happens in the US, you, you guys breed some damn good dogs and, and performance animals. Um, and you, your track record proves it, you know, especially when it comes to hounds and those chickens and those other dogs I was talking about. <laughs> you know it's funny another australian that told me that if you, like that's very similar thing and i i just got all red in the face i was like oh <laughs> but you know it's we just have so much uh, well we're, first of all i have so many questions it's hard for me i have a hard time when i'm talking to people like you of not just going like full bore in the questioning because i just get so excited but where were you in new mexico if you don't mind i ask um, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to look. I'm just going. I'm just going to be a bit careful about where I say we were. We we, um, we travelled uh, with work. We travelled down to Texas uh, and trained with some of the, the Texas stranger dudes, and uh, we were lucky enough to, to be able to to get uh, get a couple of contacts um, uh, down in. Uh, I've just got to. I've got to be a bit careful about where I say we were because a lot of these guys get fairly. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. I agree. I get fairly touchy about. Sure. You know. Sure. I guess I was just gonna. You could just say forest or desert. And that that puts you in it a is, like two thousand kilometer is, difference. <laughs> it is. It is. It is right down the bottom in, in desert country. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's my stomping grounds. The south. The south end is my stomping grounds. I, I know the whole state really, really well, but I. I uh, I live real close to a dry ground mountain lion hunter and he's, he is the real deal. Um, he's very public. So I don't mind. His name is Brett Vaughn. He's been a guest on the show and he has the born 100 years too late YouTube channel, but man, he's a cool guy. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that guy. He he's he's the real thing. He's a real cowboy. Oh, he is the real everything. <laughs> he's awesome. <laughs> he only lives 15 minutes away from me, actually. Uh, that's fantastic. I'm I'm um, I'm right into um, that, that the sort of thing that he's doing, and 
especially with with the mules and you know going out into the into the open into the country with just for the mules and and his hounds it's uh that's really something i reckon oh if i wasn't into sight hounds i will that's what i'm doing next i'm absolutely going to be astride a mule following my pack through the desert because we have i mean just where me and brett live literally like the city limit ends of the city we live in and then it's 9.4 million acres of public land so and it's full of deer and mountain lions and all kinds of stuff so i mean we're so lucky and fortunate to have that around us to hunt in anytime we want for free that's that's fantastic and look to a large degree where i live is very similar to that i i, I live on the outskirts of, of melbourne about an hour an hour east of um, the you know one of australia's largest cities and uh my 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 farm backs onto to national park and we're not far from state forest that contains large numbers of of samba deer and uh we're lucky lucky enough to be able to you know you know we've got a you know a seven month season we can pack our hounds in and we can um we can uh we can go hunting pretty well anytime we like mm. uh which is something that uh it's becoming rarer and rarer, and uh, it's constantly under threat as well. They're, they're trying to shut up a lot of that country, so we can't go and hunt in it. So. What's the rationale behind that? I don't even understand why anyone would want to stop that. Like, what what is their rationale? If you don't mind, I ask. Well, look, the, the, I think it's a it's a multifaceted attack, I suppose, um, it, and it's not an attack in the true meaning of the word of an attack. It's it's a situation where there's people that feel that it's important for them to to have um, a great forest national park or parks that are similar to that, where nobody can go in and do the things that have traditionally happened there since uh, since white man was here in Australia. They want to cut that area off or they want to limit access to that area uh, because they think that um, it's better for everybody involved. It just, it, it doesn't stand up to, to good science. Not at all. It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> That's my job. Stand, exactly. And it doesn't stand up to good, um, to good land management either. You know, uh, the, the deer, the deer are overabundant. The government is spending millions of dollars trying to uh, work out uh, effective ways of managing the deer by themselves. Uh, and that's, proved to be a, a dismal failure um, and they know full well that the most efficient and effective way to uh, to deal with large numbers of samba deer is to use you know good good hound crews to be able to manage them yeah i mean it's obvious to answer too i mean why would you be spending taxpayer dollars when people would be willing to pay to go out and hunt that, that's i mean that's the crux of the north american wildlife management system and it's worked very well but I just don't understand, especially in a place like Australia, how anyone could be opposed to hunting these non-native animals that are so abundant and obviously so destructive. Well, uh, you and me both, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really. But it, it seems that there are those within the bureaucracies who, uh, who've got a hell of a lot more push than we have Sure. when it comes, when it comes to... Uh, how things should look and how things should be done. Um, but sooner or later, the, the, the truth has got a habit of coming to the surface. And uh, once all this stuff is distilled down to its lowest common denominator, I think somebody somewhere along the line will say, yeah, look, these guys are pretty pretty well the best thing that we've got. Um, you know, every, 
yeah, every week you hear about deer being splattered in, the, in our cities, or, you know, running through people's yards, causing problems and things. And these aren't the sort of these aren't deer like the deer that you have over there. That, you know, these are they're significantly bigger than whitetail. They're, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, nearly, they're nearly as big as an elk. Um, they're like you know, five hundred cor- kilos, huh? I think Corbin uh, said they're like four to five hundred kilos, something like that. Oh, uh, look, it, it, it'll be a fairly big one at four hundred kilos, but. You know, a big stag will he'll he'll tip three hundred and fifty kilos, which which is a, that's a fair bit of venison. You know, it's yeah. not, you don't want to hit that with your car. <laughs> that's an eight hundred pound animal. Uh, you don't need to hit a big one to destroy a cow. We see yeah. plenty of cows. We see plenty of cows that are smashed by you know 100, 150 kilo animals. I was on a date once with this girl, and uh, we were driving down this road going a little over the speed limit. I don't want to say that in front of a cop, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we were going a little too fast in her Nissan 350Z. We hit a jackrabbit, and her entire fender, her entire bumper came off, and we ran it over. So, like, you don't need to hit a big animal to do a lot of damage to a car, I guess. <laughs> You, you guys have got some weapons grade jackrabbits over there, mate. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's why you were saying we have the best dogs in the world because I'm chasing weapons grade jackrabbits. <laughs> I'm taking that from you, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's cool. Yeah, look, you know, with, with the with the hunting here, the the culture of hunting here, um, it'll never die. You know, there's there's young guys that are coming through all the time that are, you know, keen to to um you know maintain what we've done forever and, uh, and it's improving all the time the techniques and the tactics uh, the equipment all the good garmin electronic stuff that's out there oh it's, it's amazing it, yeah it's it's helping you know, you know access access to areas um that we couldn't get to in the past as far as vehicles are concerned as far as recovery equipment's concerned that's all improved i can remember a time when we were young guys we we were hard pressed to get a four wheel drive vehicle. Yeah. And we had to, we had to go into some fairly hard country, uh, just with, you know, pick what, what you guys call pickup trucks. We call them utes here, um, with limited slip diffs and, you know, snow tires on the back and turf or hand winches just to get into areas where we can hunt deer or hunt samba. You know, it's funny. I was talking to a man. I, I frequently talk to obviously a lot of people, but he's in his eighties. He's been hunting uh, coyotes with sight hounds for decades and rabbits and hares. And uh, he said when he started, he had like an old Isuzu car and they like bashed out the back window. And that's what they would release dogs out of. They were like going across pasture and this is in like the fifties. They're going across pasture in a car. I'm like, that's so crazy. I mean, I love like ingenuity, making do with what you got. I love that, but there's a limit. And I feel like going across the desert in a car is that limit, but you got to do what you got to do, I guess. <laughs> you, you make me feel bad. I can remember doing exactly that. You know, we used to call them, we'd call those cars paddock bombs, you know, the, the vehicles <laughs> that, were ready to, that were ready to retire and the, I think some of the best race drivers in the world learned to drive in paddock bombs, you know. Paddock the, bombs, that's a great the, name. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, guy that, the guy that introduced me to, to sighthounds was an old, he was actually a retired policeman and uh, he, he actually, uh, he kept bloodhounds for tracking men back in the day. And uh, in the 70s when I was a young guy, he introduced me to running dogs and he had uh, 
yeah, beautiful Scottish deer hounds, the real thing, you know, not not these these things that you see in the show rings in Australia these days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his name was Doug Mummery. He was a legendary hunter and a legendary houndsman. He he introduced so many fantastic dogs into Australia. You know, a, a lot of the fox hounds, a lot of the bloodhounds, the Scottish deer hounds, the Irish wolf hounds. Him and a handful of other guys were probably the the genesis of a lot of the running dogs that we actually see here today in Australia. Wow, that's amazing. And he, he, drove, he drove around in paddock bombs chasing, chasing kangaroos and things like that back in the day. When did kangaroo hunting become illegal with dogs? Or period, I guess. I guess the way I understand it is it depends on the state, but it's legal in some states and, and not in others. Well, as far as I know, the only place that you can legally hunt uh, macropods, which are kangaroos and wallabies, yes, sir. Um, in Australia is Tasmania, and they still do it today. They they hunt them with sand hounds, and you know, flush them out and to to waiting uh, shotgunners, mm-hmm. and they they shoot their little uh, their wallabies and kangaroos and mince them up and make patties out of them. They love them. So, so why does um, Tasmania have uh, macropod hunting and the mainland in Australia doesn't? I've always kind of wondered that. I was wondering maybe you knew the history of that. Well, you're, you're, you're a man of science, I understand. Um, the, the, the large vertebrate, native vertebrate predators in Tasmania, um, you know, for instance, the Tasmanian tiger was, was the animal probably most responsible for managing the, um, the herbivores, uh, back in the day and um, when when it became extinct um, the foxes had never spread really in Tasmania the introduced foxes never really uh, taken off in Tasmania even though there'd been a few attempts to try to start them in there um, the wallabies or the small uh, Tamar wallabies uh, became very much overabundant and uh, they became a, a problem as far as uh, management of pasture and all that sort of stuff was concerned gotcha. and also also having a disproportionately large um or, or adverse effect on um on you know on the country as far as over, overgrazing etc mm-hmm. so um the 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 locals um started hunting them with hounds you know and, uh, yeah. not, not just hunting with hounds but it's very popular down there hunting with hounds a lot of the guys shoot them at night Unfortunately, um, you know, they can't keep up with the large numbers and you know, they're still subject to being poisoned by 1080 poison and all that sort of stuff as well. Wow. That's Which, something you, that's why I love talking to people from other places in the world. Like you would never think that wallabies would be something that you have to poison because there's too many of them. It just seems like, yeah, it's just weird. <laughs> but I mean, I'd per- much, I think everyone in the world would prefer using weapons and hounds than poison i think and and i know it's it's unfortunately for ag- large-scale agricultural industry it's commonplace because it's a effective way to mass control population but that's a huge um bit of ammunition in the belts of sportsmen worldwide is that look there are few alternatives to population management let us pay you know our money goes back into preserving um, wildlife populations and protecting the habitat that everyone enjoys even non-hunters and also we can avoid poisoning or mass scale aerial gunning and mass scale culling. You know, there's a, they, the wildlife has an intrinsic value. It has a cultural value. It has a food value. 
And it also allows people to go out and enjoy our public land, or in your case, I don't know what you'd call Australian public land, but that. <laughs> well, it's exactly what it is. It's public land. They call it various things, but including crown land and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, it is public land and it should be open for all of the public, including hunters and houndsmen, to, uh, to be used in, in the way it's always been used traditionally. Getting back to the, the, the kangaroo thing, um, it was in many places, uh, it was legal to hunt kangaroos using um, uh, coursing dogs up until about the early 70s. And then um, various uh, pieces of legislation were brought into place uh, due to in inverted commas, uh, what do they call it? Community expectations. I don't know which community they were expecting, but uh, they, <laughs> they, they, banned, they banned a lot of that stuff. And uh, unfortunately, um, along with that ban went some of the most magnificent sidehands you'd ever see. Yeah, that's a real shame because there's not really, I mean, I can't, what else is there comparable of running ability of that size in Australia to hunt? Is there anything? Because I know foxes are, they're small. I mean, they're not, they're not going to be, you don't need a large, powerful coursing hound to catch them. Is there anything comparable to a kangaroo in running ability? Well, not, not really. The, you know, the, 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 you know, Eastern grey kangaroos, red kangaroos, they, they're, they're unique. You know, they, there's not. There's not much out anywhere else in the world that that, that compares to them. Uh, you know, as far as animals that can, um, you know, put up a, or they, they provide good, you know, as far as a good game animals concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, we're allowed we're allowed to kill them under permit, and um, you know the pet industry uses their meat, and uh, the you know human consumption industry uses their meat, but uh, you just can't hunt them with dog. You know, you can, that's a shame. That's ridiculous. If you can hunt them, I don't. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a shame. Anyway, I, I I think that that's a chapter that's closed uh, in the history of Australia. The mainstream media seem to put paid to a lot of that sort of stuff, and um, that's the end of it. But look, foxes even. Um, yeah, the, the the guys that are out there on the weekends chasing foxes with hounds and terriers and and running dogs, uh, they do it for the for the love of, of hunting. You know, this like the rest of us do. Um, the the fox industry or the fur industry in Australia pretty well collapsed towards the end of the eighties because of the pressure that was being put on by the animal rights people. Like, no, there's no foxes kept in captivity in Australia for the fur industry. The only foxes that were taken with the foxes out of the wild, which posed a direct threat to our highly endangered native wildlife. Yeah, sounds but like because a win on all levels. Industry, yeah. <laughs> because of the fur industry, people stopped taking foxes. You know, like I remember as a kid, you know, you'd get $30 or $35 for a good fox skin, and that was big money. Oh, my and, gosh. Wow. You know, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm talking in the 80s. And... Uh, you know, it was fantastic. A lot of guys paid paid for their hunting and their fuel and their you know, vehicles just through hunting foxes. And when, when when the fur industry collapsed, in effect, here in Australia, uh, that all went uh, by the wayside. And the, the, and unfortunately, um, it never really caught up. You know, the, the guys that hunt foxes recreationally now, that they get a bounty. I think they get, you know, 10 bucks of fox skin. But in real terms... Um, it doesn't really 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't compare. If if they were to if they were to uh, have a you know a good fur industry back up and running, you know, and and target cats and foxes here in Australia, and encourage actively encourage it, uh, you'd find that uh, these predatory introduced predators would uh, their numbers would drop down very very quickly. That's exactly what I've said for feral pigs. You know, if there was a market on them that they were actually marketable, it's working on it. There is a um, a, a small pet food industry, even a small human consumption industry that you can take live wild hogs to USDA inspected facilities. But I always joked that if, if like wild pig meat ever became like really fancy fine dining and they were worth a ton of money, they'd be gone in a year. You know what I mean? There would be guys out there with thermal scopes smoking 50 a night. But I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of a it's kind of a weird catch 22 because you know, the more valuable those foxes became, I'm sure the harder it was to find them. But you know, at the same time, the goal in Australia is to get rid of them. I mean, there's just no if, ands or buts, I guess nobody wants to see them fully eradicated because they love hunting them. But I don't think anyone would be upset if their numbers were reduced significantly to allow, you know, your critically endangered animals a chance to get their populations back up and running. Look, I, I agree hundred percent. Look, the, the, again, hearkening back to, to your, your training as a scientist, the, I don't think that there's a, a case anywhere in the world where uh, complete eradication has been achieved. That's right. Uh, it's of, basically impossible. You know? So uh, to eradicate foxes and feral cats and, and similar creatures here in Australia, um, is it's not going to happen anytime soon. You know? And, uh, that all we can really hope to do is to try to manage the numbers and and you know, try to avoid a, a catastrophic um, loss of native wildlife. You know? And it's it's getting harder and harder all the time. And these governments are, are trying to, um, you know, they're, they're actively discouraging hunting, you know, especially yeah. using dogs. You know? Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, that, so that's the thing. So. I mean, obviously, it's hard to say because it's always hindsight when you look back at these things. But are there hound hunting groups in Australia that are still actively lobbying right now just to kind of keep things going? Because like in America, we have our state hound organizations. We have like um, other just hound organizations that are across state lines and that a ton of people are, you know, working with. But I think a unified front is key. And and that's kind of what we want to be here at Houndsman XP as a is a way that we can all band together under this one banner and we can have a lot of strength worldwide standing together and get organized. Is, is there anything you guys are, is there like, for instance, um, is there any issues right now that houndsmen are kind of rallying around to, to keep from a ro- losing any rights right now, or, or is it kind of right now things kind of in stasis? What do you, what do you think? Uh, look, look, there's a number of, of, of hound hunting and dog hunting organizations in Australia. Um, and some of them are really, really good, but the vast majority in real terms aren't particularly effective for the exact reason you just mentioned. You know, they're not, there's no coordinated strategic planning to get these organisations singing from the same hymn book. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's still all the, you know, the backbiting and the, you know, people in the wrong camp, you know, talking. And not not agreeing with each other on lots of things. So even even hunters, as a general proposition, you know that you know that 
the duck hunters need to understand that they need to support the houndsmen. The houndsmen need to un understand that they need to support the duck hunters and the deer stalkers and the rabbit shooters. We're, we're very, very much still divided. You know, there's plenty that'll say that we're not, but the truth of the matter is um, we haven't got it. We haven't got it all in one sock. If you know yeah, I mean, I could say the exact same thing, and that's exactly what we're working towards and I've kind of dedicated my my life as a sportsman too is is trying to build those bridges better between all our communities because that's the way we're going to win and move forward because like you were saying earlier and I completely agree our foes are incredibly well funded and organized and we need to be the exact same well we're dragging the chain a bit but uh, you you guys and, and and a lot of the guys in the UK and various other places um, uh, are, are slowly getting there. Um, here in Australia, we're trying as well, but um, we're taking. You know, we're not in the business, I suppose, of reinventing the wheel. Uh, if you guys are doing something really well and it's working for you, we're going to copy it. Don't worry about that. You know, <laughs> we we need to do it on the understanding that you guys understand why we're doing it. You know, um, right? We. We, we, we do have a lot to learn and we've got a hell of a long way to go, but um, we're getting there, you know, um, and we're, we're, sta we're staving off the antis. But the thing is, I think complacency and apathy seem to be probably our worst enemies. You know? I totally agree with that. And, and hiding, hiding is a big one. People feel that yeah. if you just don't ever show yourself, you'll never be a target. And I just couldn't disagree more because when that law says all hunting with dogs is banished now it didn't matter if you were hunting with terriers for field rats in an alfalfa field in the middle of new mexico it's now illegal it didn't matter if you were a target or not now you can't do it legally anymore and so hiding to me just a, it also seems like a subconscious admission of guilt to an anti-hunter they'd be like see see like why were you not like why are you hiding it's, it, to me getting out and being lot like honest non-emotive where you you are being um a, a good steward and also someone who can um logically and cogently defend your argument against someone who has a purely emotional attack against you is going to be our best way forward and, and and always always being an ambassador when you can I, I you don't have to be mr charisma but always always bring up hounds in the most positive light and, and, inter, and invite people to come out and see your dogs, come out and see you hunt. You don't, they don't have to come to your house, but if you have hunting friends or, or anybody, just be like, yeah, why don't you come out and see my terriers while we dig? Or why don't you come see my, my dogs chase this hare? Like, I guarantee they'll have a good time. I just, that's how I feel. That's been my style. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's the best way forward for us in my opinion. You, you've, you've got a very, very good attitude. And I think if, if that if that attitude could spread throughout the hound hunting community, um, we we would uh, we would do a hell of a lot better than we're doing now. But you're 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 100 right. You know, the burying your head in the sand, hopefully hoping that uh, you know it's all going to go away, is no way to go. And that that hiding business, you know, it, it's never worked. <laughs> it, it's never worked in the past, and it and it won't work now. You know, um, the Probably one of our worst enemies, I suppose, is the mainstream media here. They um, they look for opportunities to put up a story that's going to be emotive and that's going to uh, get people to watch TVs and buy newspapers. You know, clickbait. Yep. 
Exactly. And, you know, every year we, we see it with the duck hunters. You still there? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I got you. Yeah. Every year we see it with the duck hunting, you know. Uh, you know, th this year they got to the stage where they they'd actually uh, limited the bag limit, the daily bag limit down to three ducks, you know. So who, who wants to drive 60 or 70 miles to a duck swamp to shoot three ducks, turn around and come home, you know. That's, yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and they base they base a lot of this stuff on so-called science, or, or on estimates made by employ, employees of various game management authorities. Um, when when you actually look at the truth of the matter, you know, there's, a, there's a fair bit of a gap. And uh, you know, we've got to be prepared to to take some of these guys on. You know, it, not everything that these government organisations tell us is 100% the truth. And we're learning that more and more every day with this COVID-19 thing. You know? we, need, we, need to, uh, we need to be objective and we need to question some of these things that come up. I don't know what the situation is in Australia, but in America, you can, all, our, all game agencies work for the public and almost all their data is available to the public. And although I don't work for the Game and Fish Department, um, I have lots of friends that do, and I, I can say soundly that m almost everyone I know that works in the game department is very pro hunting and they're more than happy to talk about hunting and talk about legislation and, and help us get organized. I, I think it, all it takes is just the tiniest effort to, to get involved and you can, you can make a difference. And, you know, people are like, I don't go to the game conference meetings because they're just a waste of time. They already have their agenda and they don't, they don't want to make up their mind. Well, maybe, but if you were active two years ago, you may not even have to be at this meeting to begin with. And it, I just think everyone is such a keyboard warrior and nobody wants to get involved anymore. And I just feel like, yeah, it's, it's not that hard to get involved to protect our lifestyle. And, uh, that's all we need to do really. Well, yeah, look, you're right. Look, it would be fantastic to have a, a game management authority here in Australia, or in Victoria in particular, that actively promoted hunting. Uh, they don't. They don't actively, unfortunately. Mm. Um, they, they're an enforcement agency. They say that they're a training agency and they produce these documents from time to time, many of which uh, are of questionable uh, quality and legality sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, look, you know, we're happy to help wherever we can as hunting, as hunters are concerned. But we, it needs to be a two-way street. You know, if you've got a game management authority, they should be promoting hunting. They should be promoting, um, you know, active recovery of hounds and educating the public. You know, if you see a hound wandering down a road, you know, um, it's it's not a savage, nasty dog. It's uh, It's got a tracking collar on it. It's got a name and a telephone number and all that sort of stuff on it. These are the sort of things that uh, a lot of these game management authorities need to consider when they when they when they say that they're helping us hunters. You know, it's not mm -hmm. lip service isn't enough. Yes, you sir. need to be able to back it up with uh, with some positive action from both sides of the fence. You know? Totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, yes, I am very lucky. I live in an area of the world that hunting is a really deep and important part of the culture and for the most part, widely accepted as just a fabric of the community of the Western United States. And so a lot of the elected officials and people I actively vote for are very pro hunting and pro public land. And 
like I said, I mean, I know many people in the game department and they're all super pro hunting. I'm not saying everyone is, and I'm not saying it's perfect. Nobody is. I mean, you don't even agree with your own wife a hundred percent of the time. I'm all looking over my shoulders. I say that, <laughs> but like, I think overall, yeah, like you were saying earlier, I think we do have an easier battle here in the United States. And I, I do feel for you. That's why I was so excited to talk to you because you've, you've been a, you've been a, a frontline soldier in it for a long time. And I just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Well, as I say, I'm not, I'm not going to quit uh, pushing the, the agendas of, of hunting with hounds and hunting with dogs. I'm going to do it you know, as long as I can. And there are others that are, that are probably doing the same thing. We just need to be able to get it together where we're singing off the same hymn book here in Australia in particular. But as I said earlier, we, 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 we definitely need to learn more from you guys. And, and our, our hunting authorities and our hunting agencies could probably do well to learn a lot from your, from your um, what you guys are doing over in the US, you know? I think it's a cultural thing that takes a long time too. That's the thing. Culture moves slowly. I mean, it doesn't seem like it, but it does. And I think it's, I just think it's so strange that a game management organization would not be like pro hunting and outdoor usage. That just seems so strange to me. Yeah. Look, they say, they say in a lot of cases, yes, they, of course they're pro hunting, et cetera. But the thing is they don't actively seek to promote. Hunting. Right. Right. It's one thing to say, but to actually give concrete substance. That's, that's a whole nother thing entirely. That's exactly right. Now they're, they're there to remind you what the regulations say. They're there to remind you of what's legal and what's not legal. Mm -hmm. uh, they're there to, to, um, to issue infringement notices and things like that to guys that, that might may have done the wrong thing. But at the same time, they're, <clears throat> they're not really managing game. They're managing hunters which uh, <laughs> there's, a big, there's a big difference. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I had yeah, a, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I actually, years ago, I actually sat on the State Government Hunting Advisory Committee, which, um, which was, I suppose, to a large degree, the precursor to the Game Management Authority here. And uh, our, the model that we, we'd put up was one that would actually, that, that would engage or have an organisation that would engage hunters and engage the public and, and uh, do what, you, what, what pretty well what you, your guys in the US are doing. But it seems that um, that morphed into something else and uh, it's probably not what we would like to see now. You know? mm -hmm. I, I always ask this to all my guests and I'm going to ask you the same. <clears throat> what is your favourite animal to hunt with dogs and why? Jeez, it's 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 like asking a guy, you know, which if which is your favourite child, you know. But, uh, <laughs> look, I, I love I love hunting um, samba deer with hounds, uh, purely because it's it, it's a challenge, you know. It, it it's not the sort of thing where there's a, a guaranteed outcome, you know. You you need to have it all together. You need to have good dogs. You need to be able to um, you know find the, find the quarry. Hunt it and come up with a, you know, come up with a result at the end of the day. And just being out there, in my view, hunting samba is, is enough for me. I, I, I've I've shot my fair share of samba. If I don't shoot another one for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. I probably shot more than most people will ever see in their life. But um, just being out there, listening to the hounds and uh, being part of the deal up in the mountains is uh, is enough for me. Oh man, you're you're just I'm grinning right now because. 
I mean, to me, it's the, all the same feelings. It's just in a different way. You know, I mean, the sighthounds don't make sound, but they sure do put on a heck of a show for you. Oh, they, they provide good company and that, that, that's it. They, you know, they, uh, it, it, what do they say? It's a ringside seat to the best show on earth if you're a hound. Yes, sir. You, when you were running sighthounds, were you running primarily for foxes because of the pelt prices were real good? Yeah, that that that's we we I, I I had terriers to flush the the foxes from cover, and uh, the running dogs to clean them up once they hit once they hit that open country. You know, and we hunted a lot of a lot of uh, cropping area. You know, wheat wheat and barley areas mm-hmm. in around billabongs, which uh, billabongs are an Oxbow Lake. Yes, you sir. guys would call it Oxbow Lake. In around billabongs in Lignum country, which is like a heavy ground cover, and. Uh, those those side hounds that they'd kill a fox quicker than you could kill it with a twenty two two fifty. Oh man, that and, sounds so fun. <laughs> that looks fun. I I would love to come try that. You know, did you guys have hares back then? I'm just gonna ask because I'm a hare dork. But oh, we have we have we we have a lot of European hares here in Australia. Through you know in you know in, in another thing that I do through the wildlife control business, um, we actually manage hares where they're overabundant in certain areas and. Uh, We've got um, we've got lots of hares here, and as a young guy, we would go and chase chase hares with the uh, with our running dogs, and uh, you needed to have a pretty good one that'd catch it one out. And uh, I reckon in my whole life, I could probably count on one hand how many dogs I've seen catch a hare by themselves on a flat run. It's, there's not many. Yeah, my dogs. I mean, I actually. Um... My season has started off unbelievable. And my first time ever, my female ran her first hair down by herself. And uh, I was just on cloud nine. She has been impressing me so much. The last last six times we've gone out, which includes a little bit of the tail end of last season, her skill has just improved every time. And uh, I went out um, on Wednesday and we were walking and my male, he's like glue to me. He just walks right beside me. And my pup was out with my female and she was kind of out sniffing around. She's got a great nose on her. So she was sniffing for the hairs. And uh, one got up about 60 yards away and it was just over a rise where my male couldn't see. And my female and my pup tear off after it. And in my mind, I'm going, dang it. Like, ah, you know, she's off by herself. I was trying to get my male to join the course, but he didn't see it. And she takes off running and she's been coursing him for about a minute. And I start seeing her put turns on him. And I was like, oh man, like she may win. And so I'm watching, I'm watching. And then finally, you know, she's, she runs real tight with the hair and she won't, um, she won't be shaken. You know how greyhounds typically overshoot their quarry real bad. She doesn't. She just keeps this real high speed, um, real high speed uh, agility on the back of the hair. And, and at about the minute and 40 second mark, she really started panicking the hair and it was starting to make those like frantic micro turns where it couldn't figure out where to go. And then she tackled it. And I'll tell you right now, Alex, I probably jumped 10,000 feet in the air when she made that catch. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I just remember I just took off running and cheering in the direction and I, Oh, it was amazing. I have a picture of it. I I sent you some pictures of my hounds running recently. That was on Thursday morning, but uh, yeah, it was amazing. And that's the first time I've ever seen a dog catch a hair alone. And I'm pretty proud of it. Oh well, it's, it, you, you've got a, you've got a, you've definitely got a good dog. And that, now I think that that was the benchmark back in the day. If you could got, if you had a dog that could catch a hare on a flat run by itself, you had a good dog. And uh, you sound like you've got a good one. 
Yeah. Both of them have really impressed the heck out of me. Um, my, my, my dogs are dedicated hair specialists and, uh, I've turned them loose on 15 and I've caught 13 this season, or I'm sorry, the tail end of last season and this season. So I'm feeling, I'm on cloud nine with my hounds right now. They're doing great. I'm so proud of them. That's excellent. I'll get, I'll get a few flashbacks of the old days when I look at the photographs of your running dogs. They, they, uh, they um, certainly remind me of uh, things that happened uh, back when I was a young guy. You know, it's funny. I never would have considered taking a camera out in the field. It's kind of a lot to carry, especially when I'm on foot. I have my binoculars on my chest and then I have that big bulky camera and I have my, my female on slip lead. Uh, you know, it's a lot going on, but I just cherish those pictures. And when I'm fortunate enough to be on private land where I can use my buggy cross pasture, I get way better pictures and it's a lot more fun. But I was on public land those days. And so I was just walking. And I just, I, all I do is have my camera pre-focused on a distance about 50 meters away. And then as soon as, cause you know, those dogs can get from zero to 50 meters away from you in like two seconds, if that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. uh, I have it ready. So when the hair comes up, it always surprises the heck out of you. And uh, I just throw the camera up and just start blazing away while I'm cheering to them. And uh, I get pictures until they're my, my zoom. I have a, I'm using a Nikon D3200 with an action lens that can zoom out to 300 millimeter. And uh, so uh, I'm able to, fun. yeah, uh, it, it takes really good action shots. And those photos I sent you yesterday, those were at about 200 meters. So it's got amazing zoom. That's excellent. It, look, I'm a, I'm a, you call them Nikons, I call them Nikons here. And uh, I've, I've got a few Nikon cameras and uh, I'm a big fan of, of that, that body. Um, I run a few different lenses on mine, but uh, I don't get out and use it as much as I'd like to, especially for the action stuff. Yeah, it's um. You, I want to show you now that I know you're into cameras. I want to. I'll send you some photos afterwards. I've posted some to our Patreon page, and uh, I've posted some on the Hounds and XP podcast group. But I'll send you some, uh, uh, some other ones too. But I take them from the speeding buggy. And I, I want to show you some of the photos I've gotten. It, those photos are why I'm talking to you right now because Chris saw some of the photos I had posted in a Facebook page and then like lurked on my page and was like, I want to talk to this guy about his crazy dogs. <laughs> and so here I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of, of, of anywhere where there's performance dogs involved as far as hunting is concerned. Cause Me too. It's the, it's the, that's the true measure. That, that's the ultimate goal. It's the real McCoy. You know, you, you hear the show people talk about, oh, look, this dog needs to look like that. It needs to have feet this shape and it needs to have a body that shape, you know, because it can do this, this and this. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, the truth is out there when you're in the field. You find out who's who in the zoo as you guys say, the bullshit stops when the tailgate drops and it's the, nothing could be truer yes, when it sir. comes to talking about hounds. You know, it's funny. Um, I, um, I, I know a guy, a good friend of mine who courses and he was, when he was young, um, this was in the early eighties, there was an AKC greyhound meet and, um, in Eastern New Mexico out on the big prairies and all these AKC show folks brought out their greyhounds to, to go out and course jackrabbits, hares. And uh, my buddy said that he saw 40 dogs released on one jackrabbit and they couldn't get it caught. 
And all those show people were upset because they're like, they're bred to catch jackrabbits. They're bred to catch jackrabbits. Like, why can't they catch them? And my buddy and his and his father brought uh, their like coursing long dogs. They're just, you know, performance bred for eons. And they caught four hares with three dogs in one day. And I was like, those other people were blue in the face, he said, because they're so mad that they're duck. They released 40 dogs on one rabbit. And my buddy said he was laughing so hard watching 40 dogs chase one rabbit until it just effortlessly outran them all. I was, I was laughing. I was, I agree 100%. I was laughing at, at uh, I, I attended a, a show when I bought, when I first bought these Yark Terriers into Australia, I attended a show. Uh, to see what the terrier people were doing with their terriers, you know, and, uh, it was quite funny. Most of them were ladies, middle middle aged to slightly older ladies that were showing these dogs. <coughs> now telling me, espousing the virtues and the hunting skills of all their various terriers, you know. And I could tell full well that these things had never seen a critter in their life, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it, it never had never done any of that terrier stuff. And you, and you think to yourself, oh, <laughs> I wonder what when their I, faces would be like when they see their terrier doing terrier stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, that's right. Everybody's a terrier person until they see their terrier doing terrier stuff. And then they think, oh, God, what have I got here? <laughs> and, uh, I've got some fantastic stories about terriers. But uh, I, I, I was lucky enough to get over to, because of my Serbian heritage, I, I get over to Europe whenever I can and uh, I you know I buy dogs and bring over dogs and frozen semen to bring to Australia and uh, I look at those guys over there and you know they they, they attend dog shows but none of their dogs are uh, non-working types you know the, mm-hmm. the average I think the average wage of a guy over there is about 300 US a month or less which isn't very much money and uh, the dogs that these guys have got if anybody's got a dog tied up in the yard or in a pen in the yard, it's a good one because they can't afford to feed ordinary ones. <coughs> and and they, they, uh, some, some of these uh, competition dogs and hunting dogs that they breed there are just absolutely outstanding. And they're, they're doing what they were bred to do uh, by the Germans uh, back at the turn of last century. Uh, that they, they can't really test them in Germany anymore. But the, the good old boys in Serbia aren't particularly concerned about the, the rules around the place. So they, uh, they still test their dogs in all disciplines. And uh, that's why the dogs that come out of there are pretty well the best in the world, you know, because that's, that's what they're, they're used. And to support your, your story about your, your friend's long dogs catching those hares, you know, unless they're tested, unless they're used and they're trained to do that stuff. Uh, you're going to lose it in a generation. Oh, yeah. Even I, I thought it was real funny. The first time I ever saw a yog terrier or a jag terrier was for hunting pigs. And I was like, what? When my, my buddy, he brought them up. And well, it, they weren't his dogs. They were his buddy's dogs who hunt pigs. And And when he let those dogs out, I was like, these dogs hunt pigs? And he was like, these dogs are some of the best hunting dogs in the world. He's like, don't let their size fool you. They They think they weigh 100 pounds. And he's like, they got a great nose on them, too. And I was like, I got to see this to believe it. And we, I didn't get to go hunting with him that day. But, I mean, he's showing me tons of pictures. And he's just got a pack of those little dudes that catch pigs. Uh, and they don't catch oh, them, yeah. but they, 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 they track them and then bay them up. And they think they want to try to catch them. <laughs> but they're, uh, they're little dudes. But, man, 
they're pretty intense little dogs. I've learned a lot about terriers in general, mostly from just talking to everybody. I, I, I still have never seen good terrier work. And that's something I would really like to do in my life. I, I need to travel more. And now that I work for this podcast, I really hope I get more opportunities to go around and, and see other people doing some really good terrier work. Cause I think it's really cool and really interesting. Well, make sure, make sure you, you tell me when you do, cause it, there are some outstanding ag terriers in the U S I've got some good friends uh, down in Texas, which is, isn't that far from you, I suppose. Yeah. Not too far. Yeah. Just like 10 hours. <laughs> well, in Australia, yeah. that's, that's not that far. Yeah. It's not that <laughs> far here either. I was, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, we, we it's nothing for us to drive four or five hours just to go for a hunt for a weekend, you know. So oh yeah, same here. But, uh, yeah, there, there are some some very very well bred terriers over in the US or yak terriers, and uh, there's lion hunters that use them and bear hunters that use them, and uh, you know they they've got some pretty good genetics over there. And the, these are the sort of guys that'll make sure that the what what those dogs are supposed to perform like they continue to perform in that way you know that's incredible and, uh, they're so oh, yeah. they're so feisty they're so feisty yeah, <laughs> yeah they're good but they're, and look they're good manageable dog too yeah well bred ones are oh sure uh, sure yeah, to people they're no wonderful you know what i mean yeah no different to to your dogs or 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 scent hounds you know you you're um the breed really is um it's not as important as as the family and the bloodlines that the dogs come from. People seem to think just because a dog happens to be a particular breed that it's going to be able to do all this stuff. It's nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got a half English bird dog, half pit bull from unknown ancestry. I just got it from the pound. Seriously, one of the best hunting dogs I've had. So versatile, trainable, intelligent. And I mean, sometimes it comes down to just the individuals themselves, but I agree with you that it's that it's that type more and that breeding type more than anything. Cause these long dogs in the United States here, man, they've been bred all over the place. Like all, all kinds of different sight hound breeds are in the lineages, especially stag hounds, the like North American coyote hunting sight hound. Those dogs have deer hound, wolf hound, greyhound, saluki, borzoi, even shepherd or, or healer cattle dog in them and stuff, all kinds of stuff in them. But like you said, when the tailgate drops, I want to see what you got. And only the best and the best are being bred for centuries in the United States. And that's where we've gotten today to this, the stag hound basically. And yeah. That's, that's how we all wound up with our specialist, so-called specialist breeds, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Look, oh, I've, I've seen a lot of game bred pit bulls in the U S and, uh, I've yet to see one that's man aggressive or me. Now I'm talking about a real game bred pit bull, not, not some of the traps that you see around the place. Sure, sure. And when you when you talk to some of those good old boys that, that had those dogs back in the day, um, it was amazing to see some of these dogs. And, you know, the, the zero zero human aggression, and they were just oh, magnificent dogs. And the way in which they uh, they raised them and they bred them, it was uh, it was something to behold. Unfortunately, when breeds like that get into the hands of People that don't know what they're doing, it's when you start getting issues. You know, um, it was talking about the specialists too. I, I think um, I think the versatile gun dog breeds are really cool, how they can do a lot of, they're expected to do so many different tasks. 
But I also think the specialists are super interesting. And I'm, I'm trying to say that from the most unbiased position because what I'm running are true specialists all the way to the core. I mean, there is no running prey more difficult to catch than a jackrabbit aside an American pronghorn, which are not illegal, which are not legal to be pursued with dogs. So, I mean, a, ja- a hare is the toughest game. So you got to have a dog that's bred only for its running ability, faster, farther, and with more agility. And so it is amazing to see the variation even in sight hounds. And, and I do like to, and I do enjoy seeing these specialist dogs. I think it's really cool. And I just think that um, what, what you can turn a wolf into is fascinating because a harrier, my dogs, these, these like mutated speed wolves laying on my couch, a harrier, a terrier, and a bulldog can all mate with each other. They're all the same species and yet they can do all these incredibly different specialized tasks. I just, I can't get enough of it and I geek over it constantly. <laughs> and, some, and sometimes they do all mate with each other and you get all these weird things you see around the place. Yeah. But it, when you're talking about running dogs or, or sidehounds, you know, you know, as well as I do, that they're, they're probably the oldest um, real hunting dog uh, lineage that, that us humans are, you know, have had the pleasure to hunt with. When you, when you go back, even back to, you know, Pride of the pyramids is this. Oh yeah, Saluki's there. Depiction, yeah, depictions of of um, of sidehounds, which uh, you know predate predates Christianity. You know, you're you're starting to talk about some pretty pretty compelling evidence that humans and dogs have been uh, had a a good relationship for a long time. (laughs) You know, I I think it's um, I think it's really. I I mean, I don't want to. Because sighthounds are so old, the 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 practice of hunting with sighthounds, I, I don't I don't know how to say it. I guess I'm just I'm just going to, but I think sighthounds are kind of one of the most complete hunting dogs because they had to do it all for primitive man who had no weapons except for spears and arrows. So it's like they a sighthound, a good sighthound, will find the quarry, pursue the quarry, kill the quarry, retrieve the quarry, repeat. You know, they don't really need any human assistance to do it. All they need is you to take them to the right place and they can do it all on their own, which I do find amazing. They're like a, they're like a combination of a tracking hound and a weapon. And I just think that's so cool. Well, I suppose the term sighthound to to a degree would be a bit of a misnomer in that, um, you know, even though they're primarily bred to, to react to movement and, you know, sight. Uh, these things have still got a pretty good nose. You know, they've yeah. got better noses than we have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so my Jip can find them hidden in the grass like a dang bird dog. She's so good at it. Well, the olfactory systems are are, are, are pretty good. And, uh, you know, you're, when you compare a side hand to, to, to a nose hand, well, you know, there, there, there are differences there. Of course. But they're, they're all bred selectively for, for different purposes. If you look at... Um, the genotypes and the phenotypes, in particular, of, of, of most of the hounds, uh, us humans, thanks to uh, I suppose Dr. Mendels and Mendelson and, and all the, all of those people, uh, have been able to identify uh, the genes that we're looking for and isolating those genes in order to get what we're looking for. And the, those those side hounds. I suppose unwittingly a lot of us have done it, or a lot of breeders have done it in the past. But if you look at the science behind it, it's uh, it They're is definitely incredible. a yeah. 
and I didn't want to say that sighthounds are this perfect hunting dog. Obviously, they have their limitations. They're not. There's a reason that coon hunters aren't using greyhounds to find coons. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, as far as like, if I had to take any dog into the apocalypse, I would take a pack of good Salukis with me because they are going to be the ones that put the most food on my table with no weapons. Like if I have to hunt with a stick, like I need something that can do it all for me. You know what I mean? I, I agree. I agree with it. hundred percent. So, yeah, I don't know. That was just, that's just tangential thinking. Every time I walk in the desert, I, I exercise my hounds in the desert with me every day. And I just think like, man, if everything went up in flames and I had to flee into the desert, I would do pretty good because I could, I could still survive out there. And also you could take these dogs and just put them on slip lead and, and cruise around until you jump a mule deer and send the dogs to them. And they could catch that deer, hold him and kill him before you get there. You know, I, I just, I just think they're a pretty incredible old school. I always feel, I always feel like some kind of paleolithic man when I'm out there with them. I just feel like so ancient, you know, and I'm just cruising around, except I have a camera and I'm wearing, uh, tennis shoes and i have a cell phone you know other than that <laughs> yeah i think i think secretly most hunters you get a lot of time to think about stuff when you're out in those mountains with dogs or chasing you know critters across the flat country <laughs> and uh you often you think back i wonder wonder what the first guy was thinking the first guy that ever saw a dog do that you know and yeah. uh, it's uh it's amazing isn't it can you remember the first time you ever saw a dog and you said, I didn't know a dog can do that? Because I can remember very clearly watching my first time seeing sight hounds run. And literally, I'm not exaggerating. My jaw was just totally agape. Like, I could not even believe a dog could move like that. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I, the first the first um, thing I saw mowed down by, by a... Um... I use that in a positive way, of course. Made down by a running dog was um, one of Doug Mummery's uh, Scottish deerhound, greyhound crosses, chasing a, a fox across a stubble paddock at a place called Ballranald in New South Wales, which is the southern part of New South Wales. And this fox had probably a 300 metre jump on that dog. The dog's name was the dog's name was Garth. And he was a big red brindle dog with a broken coat. And uh, he caught that fox before it got to the other end of that paddock in oh, probably 400 metres. And that, wow. that, that, fox, that, that fox was dead as a doornail from the instant that dog touched it. It was amazing. And uh, yeah. that, that, was, that was it for me. I thought, oh, how long has this been going on? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I remember the first time I saw it, I was with my now uh, mentor and I had just gotten my pup. He was just a wee baby, 13 weeks old. I went out with my now mentor and really, really good friend of mine. And man, his dog saw a hair get up and they took off. And I was just like camera blazing and also just totally floored with their speed. And they caught that hair. It was also the first time I'd ever seen a hair caught by a dog. And even though I knew it could be done, I still was like, I kind of have to see it to believe it kind of thing. And oh man, they weren't even my dogs. And I was jumping around in circles. I was so excited. <laughs> I was hooked right then. Well, that's it. I don't think any of us choose to be a hunter. It's, it's one of those things. Once, once, you, uh, once you're exposed to it, you know that, that this is something I want to do for the rest of my days. I agree. And, uh, that's, that's just how it is. You, you can't force somebody to be a dog man. You know? 
Totally you think agree. You've got to be half a lunatic to be a dog man anyway. <laughs> I tried but, um, to get my brother into it and it just did not work out. He ended up giving me his female, which I'm so happy about. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> so, yeah. But the, yeah. The, that's, you, you've always got to skip in your step when you go out there to feed them and, and interact with your dogs and spend time with them. You know, and I've always said to myself, the day that it becomes too hard or too much work, I'm going to give it away. Mm. That, hasn't, yeah. that hasn't happened yet. That's good to hear, my brother. That's good to hear. Yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it all. You know, it, it's it's impossible, and I and it's. I always. Am, I'm kind of a serial ponderer. I spend a lot of time in the desert alone when I'm working, and so I, I think a lot, and I just try to think about these big, big questions, and I try to kind of wrap my head around it, and I just can't always. And I think that's totally fine because I think that gives us good food to keep on imagining and dreaming. And I know that sounds really corny, but I think a lot of the fun of dog hunting is just what's just around that next bend in my career of, of this lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like what, 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 what could I breed or what can I work on? And I don't know. I just, I just love it all. And I love talking to people that have been way ahead of me because I get to kind of look into the future and, and see what I have to look forward to. And talking to people like you, Alex is, has made me feel really blessed. And, and I mean that. And so I, yeah, thanks for talking to me. <laughs> I'll let you know on a secret. Um, we, we all still wonder what's around the corner. What will I breed? Where will I go? What dogs will I use? It doesn't change. <laughs> not, as, not, not, as long as you, not as long as you're breathing if you're a hunter. I got but, a really uh, inquisitive mind and I just, I just love to think about that kind of stuff. And it's good to hear. It's good to hear you say that. Yeah, well, one of the things that we do here, and I, I won't keep take up too much more of your time, there, there's, a, there's a network of people here in Australia called the Australian Conservation Dog Network, and basically they use dogs. I'm a, obviously, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a member of that network. They use dogs you know, for the protection, I suppose, or to protect uh, native species or threatened species and to, to detect predators, to detect uh, cryptic species that, that we don't know about, we don't know where they are. Uh, they're doing fantastic work with dogs. and It's not so much a hunting context as it is the use of dogs in protecting nat protective native, native animals. And uh, there's one particular species that I've got a particular passion for is a thing called a Burramus parvus. That's its Latin name, but its, um, its common name is mountain pygmy possum. Um, these things are about the size of a mouse, or a bit bigger, and they live uh, above the snow line in the in the, in the alpine areas here Whoa. in Victoria. That's cool. And they're, they're under direct threat by by cats and foxes, and uh, we use dogs quite a lot to, to identify the you know, locations of these cats and foxes and scats and do scat analysis and all that sort of stuff. Um, just I, I just brought that up to to demonstrate that you know to everybody that may be listening. There's a lot of good work being done by people uh, with dogs out there. It's not it's not always in a hunting context, but also in a, you know in a conservation context. Yeah, and what a great way to introduce people into dog work. I was thinking first thing that comes to my mind is yeah, how about search and rescue? You know what I mean? Like All that's that hunting stuff. in a different way. <laughs> it's it's no different. You just use using the dog's innate ability to do those things that it's born to do. Uh, to do the, do the, you know, what we as 
uh, humans need, you know, to find lost people or find, uh, you know, lost wildlife or, or endangered wildlife and predators. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of good things that can be done and there's a lot of good opportunities to promote hounds and, and those types of dogs in, uh, for the future. Absolutely. And man, that's great. I, every time I talk to Australians, I find out about cool new native wildlife I've never heard of. That's a new one. Man, that's a, those, oh, they're, they're cool looking little dudes. I just Googled them. <laughs> they are, they're, they're highly endangered, the poor devils. Um, and and the, the introduction of, of, uh, of uh, you know, predators such as cats and foxes is probably the thing that's going to end up seeing the, seeing the end of them in the wild anyway. There's a few that are kept in captivity. But, that's a shame. Uh, the, ones, the ones in the wild are up against it, that's for sure. That's a shame. Well, Alex, I, I really, man, we, uh, we should talk again sometime. I, I don't want to take up your whole afternoon. I'm over here just geeking out to the maximum. Let me ask you, uh, if you want to, if you don't mind sharing, you, you're a member, you are an admin on two really great hound groups on Facebook. And you also are been a great ally and friend of Hounds on XP. So, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that again. But if you want to plug your pages, you can. Now would be a good time, I think. Well, it's not so much plugging the pages, but the reason those pages, Hounds Unlimited and Hounds Australia are in existence is to try to, to, try to draw together the hound hunting community, both nationally here in Australia and internationally, to try to uh, protect, preserve and promote what we have. Uh, because uh, if we don't do that, uh, we're pretty well doomed to failure. So. Um, it's just my little way of uh, trying to get things, uh, you know, uh, up front of mind for a lot of people that are out there that, that are wondering what we're doing, what we're up to. Well, I was super, super impressed when, when I saw your pages and uh, I was honored that you wanted to be a part of Houndsman XP. And it, it, I knew that it was curated professionally and, and I could tell you were a, a well-spoken man and, and uh, you definitely haven't disappointed. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Do you have any final thoughts, my my friend? And if so, now would be a great time. Anything you want? <laughs> well, look, um, look. I, I just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to to be able to uh, to to voice, uh, you know, what what's happening down here, down down under in Australia, and the opportunity to to interact with uh, houndsmen, you know, elsewhere, especially in the US and Europe. You've you've got a great following all over Australia, and uh, and I'm sure across the US, just keep up the good work. And we'll, uh, hopefully this won't be the last time we speak. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we might even talk about hunting one day. <laughs> if I get down to Australia, I got a hit list of people I want to hit up. And so, uh, yeah, this won't be the last time we talk. I can guarantee it. I do a thing called tailgate talks on our Patreon page. They're just casual mini talks. Anytime you want to record, you hit me up. We'll chat about anything we want. Because I really want to talk to you about some of your um, your uh, wildlife control work you do. I think that is really interesting, and uh, I, I'd really like to continue talking about that more. So uh, maybe we should talk again sometime soon. What do you think? I'll look forward to it. All right, sir. Well, hey, uh, until next time, uh, it doesn't matter if you're releasing your sandbar dogs or if we're coursing those prairie hares. It doesn't matter if we're using our dogs to sniff for any kind of native Australian wildlife or to find people buried in the snow. You follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Alex, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you again, Seth. All the best, man.